Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. I gave to you a, um, a copy of a chart on the ages of the church. I shared with you whenever... Um, God began to reveal and Jesus began to reveal to John about the churches, the seven churches are not just about those particular churches of Asia Minor, but they're also about the ages of the church. The church was going to go through different ages. The first of those were last week we saw in the church of Ephesus is the apostolic age. And the Ephesian church, they were doing a lot of good things, but the one thing that was happening at the end of that century is they were losing their first love. They were losing that passion they needed to have in their relationship with Christ. The second of those that's on this list, and the second church that's listed here, is the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna. And remember, it's the Caesar age, and it is primarily the church going through tribulation and horrible persecution. At the hands of the Caesars, the church was going to go through persecution. And the church of Smyrna is that church that Jesus talks about and encourages because they're going through horrible persecution. And he has some promises for them. I shared with you, though, that this is about the church age. But in every age, there's always going to be a church that's going to fit in any of these categories. One church may have left their first love doing the right things, left their first love. Another church may be going through persecution. Uh, Another church may be lukewarm. Different church, a different age. And I also shared with you... That, that can be individual believers. Individual believers in the church may go through the same thing. There may be an individual believer who's left their first love or an individual believer who is lukewarm. Or in this case, there may be individual believers in the church who are going through horrible times of persecution, tribulation, and difficulty. And some of you may feel like that you're in that place. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you feel like you're there, I've got a good word for you today. Amen. <laughs> And Jesus has got a good word for you today. Uh, You just need to listen very carefully. Know that you need to tell the church about what I feel about them. I'm going to share with you the name of the pastor. The name of this pastor, most people believe it was Polycarp. Have any of you ever heard of Polycarp? In Western civilization, you might have studied about here. I'm going to introduce you to Polycarp. He was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. He was a disciple and a student of John, okay, who wrote this revelation But he was Polycarp, who was the pastor here. All right, that's what he says. The first and the last who was dead and has come to to life says this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, you need to leave your Bibles open because we're going to look at this verse by verse, phrase by phrase. The first thing I want you to know is the most important part of any of these letters is who it is that sends this letter to the church. And we know that the letter is, every letter is sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. But 
It's not just sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. He describes himself in a pertinent way for each church. There's something that he wants that church to focus on to know about him that is going to have something to do with the message that he's going to share with that church, whether it be a word of encouragement, commendation, or whether it be a word of correction or conviction. Whatever it is, there's going to be something about how he describes himself that is going to relate to that church. And this is what he says about himself there in verse number 8. He says, to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. That's the description of Jesus. Two things he says there about himself. First of all, Jesus said, he is the first and the last. Now, that's important because what that means is that he is in the very beginning. Before there was a beginning, Jesus was, all right? And he is at the very end. And whenever there's the end of time and the end of this world, Jesus will still be, all right? He's the first and he's the last. But hold on a second. But he is everything in between, okay? He is everything in between. There's not one moment from the first to the last, not one moment in your experience, not one moment in the Christian's lives at Smyrna's experience that Jesus was not there. He was intimate with them. He was there to take care of them. And he would say to them, you are never alone. No matter what you face, no matter how hard the tribulation might be, no matter how deep that persecution you might feel, I want you to know this. I will never leave you. I am always here with you. And if you ever feel like you're alone, look around and you'll find that the first and the last is always here. I want to tell you something, friend. I've had some experiences in my life where I needed that. (laughs) I've had some experiences in my life where, where I felt like I was alone. And I need to look around and find out. But you know what? He's always there. There's not one moment of time that he is not there for you, for me, for these people. And that's what he said. I am the first and the last. Second thing he says is this. The one who was dead but has come back to life. The one who was dead but who has life. Now, as he writes that to this pastor and to this church... Whenever he says the one who was dead, he's talking about his experience. Now, did Jesus just go to die in his sleep? Is that how Jesus died? Did Jesus just fall off a a donkey and, and die? Is that how he died? No. How did Jesus die? He died a horrible, horrible death. A persecution beyond what we could ever imagine. The scourging of the Roman soldiers would have been enough without the cross. When they ripped the skin from his body, he suffered so deeply, but then was hung in shame on the cross. And he bore not only that pain, but he bore the sin of the entire world. Imagine what the sin of the world felt like in his heart and in his life. I want to tell you one thing. Just my sin bothers my heart. (laughs) Whenever I got sin in my heart and life, it bothers my heart. It weighs me down. I could not imagine carrying my sin and your sin. And I certainly couldn't imagine what it would be like to carry the sin of the entire world. The most wretched of things it could be. Jesus died, paid the price on Calvary for that sin, and he bore that, and he died. His death, a death of persecution, tribulation. 
But wait a minute. But he's not still dead. (laughs) The one who was dead, but who is now alive. Not only is he alive to where he revealed himself to his disciples as he walked there for those 40 days, but he is alive forevermore. He is at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting for that command of the Father to leave his throne and to come back here and to settle all the issues. And that could be today, amen, that that process gets started. Well, bless God, he is alive forevermore, and I know it because he's alive in my heart. And you know what about Jesus? He, He died, but he will never die again. He died in this earth, but he'll never die again. He'll never face a second death again, and he is alive. Now, you got to understand, those things are important in what he's about to say to this church. He's about to talk to a church that's going through horrendous persecution. He's, he's talking to a church that's going through deep-hearted struggles. He's going to talk to them. He says two things. I want you to know there's never a time that I'm not with you in the midst of your pain and persecution. I'm going to be with you, and I want you to know this. I'll know and I'll understand your pain and persecution because I have been through it. But understand this, that there is a time when that will be over and life forevermore will be yours. It's pretty important that he says that. It's pretty important that we know who writes this letter. Amen. Remember about this, this church. As he writes this letter, it's an unusual church. And the fact that I gave you an outline last week, remember that Jesus identified himself, and then he'd give a word of commendation, then he'd give a word of correction. But I told you there was something unusual about two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. And what was it? There was no word of correction. There was no word of correction or conviction for them. There wasn't anything that Jesus said against them. He only gives them a word of commendation and and ministers to them. Tells you something about what they're going through and, and what they face causes to happen in their own heart and life. We'll talk about that in a minute. But listen to what he says that he knows the challenges that these people face. After he identifies himself in verse 9, he says, there are three things that I know that you're going through. Here it is. I know your tribulation and I know your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy by those who say that they're Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. He says, I want you to know this. I know about your persecution, about your persecution, that you're going through terrible, awful persecution. That word in the Greek language literally means to press upon. It's the idea of someone putting a heavy boulder upon the chest of a man in order to execute him. It's such a heavy boulder that that man, if he's not crushed under the weight of the boulder initially, it will become so heavy that there is no way for him to breathe. It will literally smother him. And that's the idea of that pressure. He says that's the kind of persecution you are under. You're under such a pressing and a pressing of execution and of persecution towards you. I realize you are going through that struggle. You know why they were struggling so much? Because because Smyrna, Smyrna was the place where Caesar worship started. That's where Caesar worship, it was in in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, that was the number one place where Caesar was going to be worshipped. And whenever Caesar was worshipped, he was God. 
And that wasn't just a religious activity, that was a political activity. See, the Romans didn't care what, what gods and how many gods there were. If they conquered a people, they'd just take their God and put it up on the pantheon, and it'd be another God and another God. And everybody had all, all of, everybody worshipped all these gods. Says, okay, except for Christians. When Christians came around, they refused to worship any other God except Jehovah God. They refused to bow down to any other God except Jesus Christ, who was the Son of Almighty God. And so when the Romans came up here in Smyrna and these Christians were there, they would say, now you're going to have to bow down and you're going to have to worship Caesar. And they would say, we will not bow down. We will not worship. It wasn't just a religious activity they were doing. They considered it a violation of their very Roman law, that it was against the authority, against the government. And therefore, they would drag them in and they would try to get them to recant their faith in Christ. If they did not, they would kill them. They would kill them. And Jesus says, I know the persecution. I know the persecution that you are under. I understand that. He says also, I know the poverty that you are under. I know that you are in poverty. That, that, there's two words for poverty in the Greek language. I love the Greek language because it's so precise. One word for poverty in the Greek language means to barely make ends meet. Have you ever been there? I know that Greek word very well. Barely make ends meet. But this is a different word for poverty. It means to literally be a beggar. It means to have to get out on the street and try to beg to make a living. And he says of those people who were the Christians of the part of the church of Smyrna, I know that you are having to beg. I know that you have absolutely nothing to live on. Now, the reason that is a number of things. First of all, back in those days and in many places, most believers were poor people. Did you know that? Most people who initially turned to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they were poor people. You, you understand why that's, why that's important? You understand why that would happen? I don't have time to read it, but go to look at the book of James. James chapter 1. He says, those of you who are poor need the glory in your high position. But those of you who are wealthy, that you need to consider your low position. That seems backwards, doesn't it? That seems backwards. Not in terms of spiritual matters. You know why? Because that lowly person or that poor person, they didn't have much in this world to hold on to, did they? They didn't have much in this world to be tempted by so whenever you hear about that there's a poem in heaven, there's eternal life, and there's abundance of life out there, when you don't have anything, bless God, I want that, amen? But when you have a lot of things and you hold to a lot of things, like the rich young ruler, and you realize that Jesus said you got to give it all up in order to follow him, your stuff gets in the way sometimes. The stuff gets in the way. See, you've got nothing. You know, it doesn't take much to encourage you to give up nothing to have everything. Amen? But it takes a lot to give up a lot to have what Jesus promises. So believers, by and large, were, were poor. They were poor. Until an, another age is going to happen. We'll talk about that age when the church comes to life and, 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 and kind of gets associated with society and gets built up and prestige and power comes to the church. 
It happens. It's going it's to picture it right here, okay? But, but believers, by and large, at the time, they were poor. But it wasn't just that they were poor that way. They were deprived of making a living. They had trade unions. But trade unions would not hire Christians because of the fact they wouldn't worship Caesar. <laughs> and other businesses wouldn't hire them for their jobs because they might come under the ridicule or the strong hand of Rome because here's a Christian that you're employing who does not bow down to Caesar. And therefore, they backed up from that, and the believers had no way to make a living. They were literally beggars. And what Jesus said is this. He says, listen, I know your poverty, but really you're rich. That's what James said, wasn't it? You're really rich because in the midst of your poverty, the riches that you have are not of this world. They're of yet to come. And the rest of this book's going to tell us about those riches. It's going to be pretty good. Amen. I know your tribulation, your persecution. I know your poverty. And I know the blasphemies. That word for blasphemy, it literally means to slander. I know the slander that those who call themselves Jews but are of the synagogue of Satan have brought upon you. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? What's he talking about? They call themselves supposed Jews, but they're of the synagogue of Satan. These were people who had proselyted to become Jews. You know what I mean by proselyte? They were not born Jewish. They're not Jewish by nature, by, by nationality or by race. And they weren't Jews by choosing to be born into that in the faith. But they would find a Jew and, and they would proselytize or they would take and make them a part of the Jewish faith. But even though they became a part of the Jewish faith... The change in their heart had never happened, and their relationship with God was never established. They were just Jewish. Because, see, in the Roman Empire at this time, Jews were prominent, and Jews were wealthy. And there's a story about Nero. Nero was one of the worst persecutors of the church. And Nero had two people. One was named Alterius. Alterius was an actor who was a Jewish proselyte who had the ear of Nero, and he could not stand Christians. Because, see, this infancy time of Christianity, they thought was opposing the Jews. So he had the, the ear of Nero, and he was telling him, you need to get rid of those Christians. He also, Nero had another person. Her name was Pompey. Pompey was a Jewish proselyte, and he was her mistress. He was, he was, she was his mistress. And in regard to that... She also had his ear. And these two people told him over and over again, you need to get rid of Christians. And that's what was the force behind Nero beginning to persecute and kill Christians and drag them into Colosseums and have wild animals to eat them and stretch them out and kill them in the Colosseum. That was Nero who did that. That's what that's talking about. I know the blasphemy. I know the slander. I know these who've talked against you. I know that. I know they are. They're supposed Jews, but they're not like my people. They are of the synagogue of Satan. And I understand that you've gone through those things of persecution and poverty. And I know that you've been slandered. I know that. Now, no, don't forget what I keep saying over it again. He says, look at it. He says, I know. I know your deeds. Now, you need to circle those words, I know, because that doesn't mean he knows as an observation. He's not saying, 
I'm looking out there and I, I, I know what you're going through. I'm, I'm observing what you, that's not what the word, the word there in know is the word oida, which means to know experientially. In other words, he says, you have persecution, I know about your persecution because what? Because I have been persecuted. And you have poverty, I know about your poverty. Why? Because I was in poverty. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, and whenever he died on the cross, they divided up all he owned, all his earthly goods right there at the foot of the cross. I know your poverty. And he says, and I know your slander. Everything you go through, I know. I know. It's interesting that this church is the church of the city of Smyrna. Have you ever heard the word Smyrna before? You probably have. You just didn't, you didn't know that was the word Smyrna. For instance, how many of you remember when the, when the three wise men brought gifts to Jesus at his birth? They brought, well, we say three wise men. There may be more than that, but they brought three gifts. They brought three gifts. What were they? Gold, frankincense, and Smyrna. Gold, frankincense, and the Greek word is Smyrna. What's it? What do we call it? Myrrh. Those three gifts, gold was to identify his deity. Frankincense was to identify his priesthood. And myrrh was to identify his tribulation, persecution, and death. Even as a child, the gifts identified who he was and what he was going to face. There's another time that myrrh comes into play with Jesus. Remember where that was? When he was hanging on the cross, they mixed wine with myrrh, right? And another time it came to play with Jesus, and that was whenever he was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They mixed the aloe and myrrh upon his body as they placed it in a tomb. Myrrh is a picture of persecution, tribulation, and death. And when Jesus says, I know I know your persecution. I know your, I know Smyrna. For I know what it is to have the myrrh of life upon you. He knows. He knows that they face those three things. Well, what is his word of encouragement? What's his word of encouragement? Here it is, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. That's an odd, that's an odd phrase. Isn't that odd? Whenever Jesus says, do not fear, we expect him to say, because I'm showing up on a white horse. Amen? Do not fear because I'm here and I'm taking care of all the issues. Is that what it says? Do not fear what you are about to suffer. In other words, he says, your suffering is going to continue. You're going to have more suffering. He goes on and he he says this. He says, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation 10 days. Now, the importance of that tribulation, there's that word again, to be pressed upon, The importance of that word, that tribulation for 10 days is this. 10 means intensity. In numerology, 10 is a word of intensity. 
We do that. We'll say, man, that, that, that's 10 times that. Or, or we'll use a multiple of 10. Man, that's a, that's a hundred times that. You know, nobody ever says that's 97 times that. Do they? No. They'll say, that's a thousand times. Man, that's a million. Every one of those are tens. And 10 is a word of intensity. So what, what Jesus said is this. You're about to go through persecution, and that persecution is going to be intense. It's going to be a hard persecution. You're going to be going through that. You're about to face that. But don't fear. And he's going to tell them why not to fear. You're about to go through some of the most severe persecution that you've endured. But also the word 10 and the 10 days is this. There is a limit to when the persecution will be over. It's not open-ended. There's only a certain number of days that you're going to be persecuted. And I know what those days are, and I understand what those days are. And then there will be persecution no more. But his word of encouragement to them is is this fact of do not fear. You're about to go through suffering. Behold, the devil's about to cast you in prison that you might be tested, and you'll have tribulation ten days. But be faithful. What does he say? Look at the next word. Be faithful what? Until I get you out. Is that what it said? Be faithful until death. In other words, your persecution may end in death. But whenever it ends in death, it will be over. It will be over. I told you about Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. All right? Any of you like to hear David Jeremiah this is David Jeremiah's book called Escape the Coming Night. It's about the book of Revelation. I heard that he's preaching through Revelation right now. I don't listen to him anymore, do y'all? Preaching through Re- He called me up. We talked about it. He, we thought we both preached through Revelation. This, what are y'all laughing about? It, it's interesting that, that whenever he writes some things, I want to just share with you an interesting thing. He begins to talk about Polycarp. The pastor of the church in Smyrna was a student and disciple of John. His name was Polycarp, and he was the messenger angel of whom Christ spoke when John wrote this second letter. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear what David Jeremiah said? He must have got that from me. He said that the angel of the church was the pastor of the church. I know y'all not going to believe this, but somebody a few days ago said they never heard that the angel was the pastor of the church. Like, I didn't really know what I was talking about, you know. I said, well, it's interesting to me. David Jeremiah, he he said they're the pastor of the church. That gave all the credibility was needed. David Jeremiah. W.A. Crystal, you ever heard of W.A. Crystal? W.A. Crystal, in his study, it's about this long. It took him two and a half years to go through the book of Revelation in First Baptist Dallas. W.A. Crystal, do you know who he said the angel of the churches are? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> pretty good company there, amen? I feel pretty comfortable about the fact that the angel of the churches are the pastors of those churches. Well, look what he says. Polycarp's ministry ended in A.D. 156 when persecution of Christians increased and they were tortured and thrown to wild beasts. Polycarp was marched into the amphitheater. This is in Smyrna now. 
where a mob was waiting to see what form of ghoulish pleasure they could get from this, his violent death. As he stood before the proconsul, he was commanded to deny Christ, but he replied, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? As the old man stood before the crowd in the stadium, the governor shouted, I'll have you destroyed by fire unless you change your attitude. Polycarp answered, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and after a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fires of the coming judgment and of the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring on what you will. The crowd gathered wood and threw the torch on the pyre. Their hatred was bitter, and they cheered as the godly man was brought to the stake. As the flames began to curl around his body, Polycarp prayed, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and this hour, that I may be a part of the number of martyrs to die for Christ. He goes on to say, perhaps... We have become so refined in our teaching of Bible truth that we're softened the shouts of the martyrs. Christians throughout time have been persecuted for their faith. Some of us today may be called upon to suffer in our own lifetime. What I read that to you for is because that's what, that's what Jesus said was going to happen. Some of you can be thrown in prison. Some of you are going to have... Horrible persecution. Some of you are going to have to be faithful until death. And Polycarp, the pastor of this church, was faithful until death. Well, this is the promise. It's the best part. What's the promise for those people? He says, first of all, I want to look at verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. That's the first promise. Whenever you are following Jesus, whenever you're going to walk as the church at Smyrna does, whenever you're going to be faithful to him, you'll not be touched by the second death. Now, what is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to Revelation 20. In Revelation 20, we'll get there eventually, about two or three years from now. But in Revelation 20, it talks about the second death. In verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. That's believers. That's those people who know Jesus, those who have a relationship with God. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I should have said that. <laughs> Need to coach y'all up. Man, that's what we're talking about. That's where we are. Amen? You're going to reign with Jesus for a thousand years. But hold on a second. Look what it says over here in verse 13 and 14. And the seed, this is a different resurrection. This is not the first resurrection. This is the next resurrection. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, and every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. There's no question about what the second death is. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is truth. That's God's word. That's the destiny of a person who does not have Jesus in their heart, in their life. But for that person who's a child of God and who's a part of the church at Smyrna, who is serving Jesus and willing to go through persecutions if need be, he says this, don't have any fear, for the second death will never touch you. I don't ever worry about the lake of fire, because I'm not going there. Based on the promises of Almighty God, I am not going there. My heart weeps for some people who are going there and who act as though they don't care. Because they don't realize that what is said is true. And the second death is real. Just as real as anything else in God's word. But those who overcome will not ever taste of the second death. There's a second promise. That's in verse 10. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life is is what God is going to give to those who overcome and who are faithful to the Lord until death. The crown of life was really, it's, it's like the crown of victory. A crown was placed upon the athletes whenever they would run in the games. They would come and they'd place a crown upon the head of the one who was victorious. The only one who got the crown was the one who was victorious. And what that's a symbol of is this. Whenever you are faithful to God and you live for him until death, you are going to receive a crown of life. You have won. It's not just a participation trophy. It's not just that you were there. You won. You won. And that victory is going to be called out throughout all eternity for all the ages. And you never lose. Ever. Something to learn about this church at Smyrna. Is this something for us to claim in our hearts? Is this because, like I told you, some of us may go through persecution, some of us may be going through persecution now. Well, the same word that God gives to Smyrna, He gives to you. And, and here's the truth about the church at Smyrna or the persecuted church or child of God the persecuted church is the pure church. Jesus didn't have one word of correction to say to them. You know why? Because persecution had purified them. Had purified them. You didn't just hang around church because it was a social thing to do. You hang around church because you're willing to give your life. Because any day, they could call for your life. The persecuted church is the pure church. The persecuted church is an intimate church. It's an intimate church. An intimate church with Jesus. What do I mean by that? It's, it experiences things with Jesus that most people never know. Because you learn it in the world of suffering. The church that goes through persecution is going to know Jesus in a way that other people do not know. 
A child of God who goes through persecution is going to have experiences with Jesus that many people will never know. It is an intimacy with Christ, the one who's the first and the last and who is everywhere in between. The one who has suffered and died but is alive forevermore in our hearts and our lives. There's an intimacy there that can never be known apart from suffering. So if you want purity in your heart and purity in your life and an intimacy with the Lord, you got to be willing to welcome whatever the sufferings might be. And, and we got to be called to be, remain faithful. Now, I know most of us think, well, boy, I'm glad I don't live in a world like that. Well, hold on a second. If we don't see a revival, a national revival that comes to our world and our country, we're not far from it. Look on your local news and you're not far from it. I, I, I really believe this. We're not far from, from preachers being thrown in, into jail. Okay, I believe that happened. That's all right with me. If it happens, it's going to happen. Y'all just supposed to come visit me when I'm in jail. Amen? It's what you're supposed to do. And and if we don't reach the next generation for Christ, there are a bunch of infidels. It's going to be infidels, and it's our fault. We don't reach the next generation. You parents, if you don't have your kids in church learning about God, it's your fault. If you're not outreaching other kids in the next generation, whatever they grow up to be is our responsibility. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, if we don't teach them about the Word of God and the love of Christ, then they're going to be making decisions about your life and my life and about our faith and what we're going to do. We can't sit on our hands. We're supposed to be making an impact in our world. Amen? But if it comes to that and you go through persecution, Jesus is with you. (laughs) And he promises you the crown of life. And he, he promises you... Don't ever worry about second death. All they can do is kill you. All they can do is kill you, send you to heaven. All right? Send you to heaven. But, friend, if you don't know you're going to heaven, you need to know that before you leave here today. Because your opportunity for salvation, your opportunity for grace today, your opportunity to know Jesus today, not tomorrow, it's today. If you've never given your heart to Christ, you need to give it to him today. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.